Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the Book of Romans, Chapter 12, Pastor Murphy began to show us the basic principles of understanding spiritual gifts. Today, we'll see how the church is a body and every believer must function within that body using their spiritual gifts. I would like you to turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. And I would like to read from verse number 1, but of course our text is going to be from verse 3 to 8, but I think it's important to follow the order and the sequence in which these topics are dealt with in this passage. So follow with me, please, as I read uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to verse number 8. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be ye, but be renewed in the spirit in your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, where the prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. And he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to... Give us the capacity to sit and to listen and to have our ears open to your truth. Help us as we listen to your word preach on this vital subject of gifts to have one primary concern in our lives and that is to really know what gift or gifts you've given to us and then to deploy those gifts within the local assembly. Help us not to disparage ourselves. Help us not to demean ourselves. Help us not to look down on ourselves. Let us not to regard ourselves as insignificant and unimportant. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. A vital, essential part and element of the church. Moreover, remind us that if we are not functioning within the church... The church can never function with the efficiency and the effectiveness that God designs for it. Therefore, our failure to function, our failure to use our gifts, is actually a penalty on the church 
and it is also in some way hindering the effectiveness of the ministry. Lord, were we to look at this matter in that perspective, it would perhaps uh, galvanize us uh, to be more concerned about this area and uh, not to pretend it's not of any great significance. For those who are frustrated in areas of ministry where they are currently involved and find no joy in it, may this be the moment of discovery that they're perhaps doing the wrong thing. That is not their area of giftedness. That is not their area of endowment. Perhaps a change is needed uh, in terms of vocation, change of career, in terms of ministry. Uh, we just pray that they would really evaluate this matter. I ask you to help me this morning as I once again thread this path. And I pray that you would allow our people to journey with me as we explore an adventure into this matter of these gifts that God has so wonderfully blessed the church with. Take away our laziness, take away our sleepiness, take away our distractions, take away our wandering minds this morning and give us the capacity to focus on your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the benefit of that in our own lives. I ask you for help, ask you for mercy, ask you for strength, ask you for wisdom, ask you for the capacity to communicate so that it is easily understood. And I ask you also to give me that boldness of courage that is fearless because I preach not the words of men, but indeed the words of God. Bless this time together, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning... I want us to continue our series, second series, uh, for this year. As you know, we have uh, dealt with the whole matter of the renewing of the mind and the transformation of the life. And then we said that the second thing we'll deal with this year had to do with the whole matter of spiritual gifts. I reminded you last Sunday of why I'm doing this. What are my goals? What are my objectives? What I'm trying to achieve? The very simple fact is I, I want you to know and understand exactly what spiritual gifts are. See? They're not natural talents. Uh, there's a God-given ability that is to be used within the church. It is something you should be doing in the ministry. Every gift has is an ability to do something in the church. Uh, but again, it is not your natural ability. Your natural ability was given when you were born into this world. And normally you got a lot of your natural ability from your mom and your dad, the convergence of these um, chromosomes in your body, etc., etc. And you have certain thoughts. You know, uh, there's certain things that when I'm doing physical things, I realize that somehow I never learned that. My thinking isn't there. And I, I think when I think of my dad, I think of some of the things he used to do, and it's like he passed them on to me. I can't explain it to you, but it's like he passed on certain things to me that I can do, that he just had that gift, and I just seem to have that gift as well. And I think that's a natural talent. That's at your physical birth, natural birth. But when you became born again, and you became a believer, and you got saved, you had a new birth. And when you got that new birth, God ensured also that he gave you a spiritual gift. Every single blood-washed, born-again 
believer has a spiritual gift. And you need to know about these spiritual gifts. Number two, so I want you to decide when we finish this series, um, what is your particular spiritual gift that you have? What has God given to you to have? Uh, and uh, you may discover that it's a gift that you have not unpackaged as yet. It's been there for a while, but you have never taken a chance to unpackage it. So you're now in your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s, and still you, the package is still not unwrapped. Now imagine that, that you probably give you a gift for, for 20 years and the person haven't unwrapped the gift yet. Uh, imagine how you would feel if you learned 40 years after 40 years, you're still in unwrapped the gift. Uh, that's an insult to God. And in certain fact, it, it's a slap in his face. And uh, I think that there's something, therefore, of, of great significance. The third thing I want you to do is that once you've discovered your gift, I would like you to decide to use that gift within this ministry. I don't want you to go to another ministry and use it. God brings every person within a church for a purpose. And if God has brought you into this ministry, it's because God wants to use you in this ministry. He wants you to get involved in this ministry. You didn't get into this ministry to sit down like a sponge and just soak in and soak in and soak in. It's about time you've got to give in. The Bible says, blessed, more blessed to what? Give than to what? Receive. So you should be concerned about ministering and serving and getting involved in the ministry. Now the text that we have been using uh, for this particular series is one of the great passages in the Bible. One of the four great passages deal with spiritual gifts. We're dealing with Romans because it is falling naturally, sequentially in line with what Paul is doing in chapter number 12. And I think the significance of this passage is the order and the sequence in which Paul deals with these issues. Now, this is not something that, in my judgment, is accidental. I don't think it is a matter of it being incidental either. I think it is very logical and purposeful and intentional in which Paul has given the sequence of these matters. I say that to say this, that the Apostle Paul, first of all, deals with the whole matter of the believer, consecrating his body to the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brother, you present your body. He wants your body. But Paul is not content just to say he wants your body. The sex thing that Paul said, you need to have your mind transformed. Have your mind your, your, be transformed by renewing. So he not only wants your body, he wants the mind as well. See? I think there's a very logical sequence to this. And then thirdly, uh, Paul is saying, okay, now that you've presented your body, now you've got your mind renewed, I want you to serve. See, How are you going to serve? By using your gifts. See, Notice the sequential order. Nobody wants to serve who have not consecrated their body and who have not renewed their mind. That's the problem. See, So when you find people in the church who are not disposed to get involved and not to serve, you've got two problems. You've got a believer whose body is not consecrated to the Lord, and number two, you have a believer whose mind is not renewed. That's the problem. And that's why Paul deals with them in this particular sequence. And I think that is very, very uh, significant. I don't think there's anybody who understood the incredible indispensability of spiritual gifts for the church than the Apostle Paul. But he also knew that the utilization of those gifts within the church is dependent on the spiritual spirituality of the believer. What is the spiritual state 
of that believer. And hence, he emphasized this whole matter of consecration, transformation, and then ministration through spiritual gifts. The logical order is, when you, 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 you sometimes, when you read the scripture, you begin to see Paul. You know, the problem with us is sometimes the verses cut up in, in, in verses. So we don't see the sequence of it. But when you take it and look at the sequence, you begin to see this man had an unusual mind and an unusual understanding of the human personality and the spiritual life. And this is why he is so logical and so sequential. He's not a haphazard just putting things without any sequence. That is never the possible. But of course, it's not just a natural thing. He's guided by the Holy Spirit who has inspired scripture. So it should not surprise us that you find this logical order here in this passage. Now, having given you that preamble to the subject, uh, the Apostle Paul then launches into the subject itself. And as I said before, there are four lines of thought in these verses. I mentioned to you the, the, the personal illustration of himself. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts and uh, less people think he's so puffed up and he knows so much. And uh, who gave him that? Tell him that he can tell the church that. He said, listen... <laughs> I, through the grace of God that is given to me, I'm speaking to you as an apostle. So he's crediting God for who he is. And he's saying, I have the gift of apostleship just that you have gifts. See? So I'm not trying to be a pompous pope, trying to give you directives as to what to do. I'm just saying to you that God has given me this authority. It's a, it's a God-given authority, and therefore I can speak to you on this matter. See? Secondly, the apostle Paul having uh, dealt uh, with that matter, uh, the Apostle Paul next, if you go back to Romans chapter 12, uh, he says in verse number 32, the grace has given to me, uh, not any man think, he deals also with the problem of spiritual gifts. There's a great peril of dealing with spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul is cognizant of the fact that uh, spiritual gifts can lead to pride. Uh, it can lead to somebody having an elevated view of themselves when in truth, in fact, uh, they need to be humble to understand that what they have is something they receive. And there need not to be this braggadocia competition going into the church so that people are competing uh, with each other and uh, some people are jealous and envious of a person having this gift and the next gift. The Apostle Paul is absolutely not. See? Don't think more highly. Think soberly, rationally. Think uh, with a balanced mind, a balanced understanding on these matters. Get a hold of the doctrine of the nature of the church and understand where you fit in and where others fit in so that there will not be this um, confusion in terms of what is your role, etc., etc. So the Apostle Paul uh, clearly then uh, deals with this matter uh, in the particular passage of scripture, And then uh, the third thing is, notice, uh, for as you have many members in one body, etc., he then began to give you certain principles uh, of the use of gifts. And that's where we, we are uh, in this particular passage, where Paul is now dealing with the principles. And last uh, Sunday, if you were here, we mentioned that the two broad principles that God, Paul mentioned in this particular chapter. The first one that we dealt with is that the whole of the Christian life is a life of grace, including gifts. 
And the Apostle Paul uh, in the passage illustrates this in three ways. Number one, he attributes his own apostleship to grace in, in verse three. Number two, he asserts that it's God that gives to every man the measure of faith in verse 3b. And then in verse number three, he affirms that the differences in gifts are dependent on grace. See? So the Apostle Paul in three different distinct ways is trying to affirm that the believer understands that everything you have, all that you are, it is a result of grace. See? We have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to be proud of. What have you got that you have not received? And that's why pride is such an offense to God when it comes into church, uh, etc. It is not something that God favors. But yet, as I pointed out, it is always lurking at, around the door of the heart. And even the great apostle had to be given a thorn in his side. Lest I be exalted above measure. See? The humblest man, yet he realizes that pride is still at the door. And that, that door is open, pride enters. And so God said, I'll keep you humble. I'll give you a thorn. And Paul thought he could do a much, much better job by having the thorn removed, but God said, no, nah, no. Nah. You keep the thorn because you need the thorn to keep you humble. See? And that's why he was given the thorn, and Paul explains that himself uh, in that passage of Scripture in, Romans, in Corinthians chapter 12. I think it is important as well to emphasize that uh, we need to understand uh, this matter of spiritual gifts uh, because if we don't understand this matter of spiritual gifts, uh, certain things, results that I mentioned last time. I said, number one, um, there is what I call wasted effort of people who get involved in certain ministries that they're not gifted for. And clearly, if you're involved in a ministry you're not gifted for, you're going to do a, a, a terrible job. You're going to do the job, but you're, you're frustrated, you're miserable, you, you don't have any joy in it at all. You're just going through the motions of it, and you know that. Sooner or later you realize, this is not what I'm called to do. This is not what I, I, I want to do. Right? And it becomes very obvious that happens. And, and that's the problem. You ever had a teacher in school yet who couldn't teach? Every one of us have had that. No, they may have degrees. No dispute, they got the degrees, but they just can't teach. I had a math teacher one time that I couldn't make heads or tails what she was saying. Couldn't come down to earth where she needed to meet us and explain the mathematics. But yet she was highly qualified. See? But that was a job. That was not her vocation. She certainly did not have the skill of communicating whatever knowledge she has. See? Uh, and I think that every one of us sitting here has encountered some teacher, whether in primary school or secondary school, that simply should not be a teacher. Simply not the gift. And uh, it's very, very clear that it was an agony to you. That they would do and, and do that, etc., etc., and you didn't learn much uh, from that person. Wasted your life. So they wasted effort of people who are engaged in ministry of areas which they are not gifted for. Number two, we talked about another reason for that is the unused potential because many who want to be used simply do not know what their gifts are. Pastor, I want to be used. I want to get involved in something. But I just don't know what my gift is. What's my gift? See, there are people like that, searching, searching. Now, if there's somebody trying to find out how to get involved in the church and the ministry who want to be used, but yet they don't know what the gift is, it means that there's potential, but it's unused potential. See, and that's another reason I mentioned 
And then there's always also the third thing, there's an uneven quality in some ministries. And what I mean by that, there's some ministries that would prosper because we've matched the gift with the ministry. There are other ministries that are suffering because we have not been able to match the gift with the ministry. So you've got this unevenness within the ministry. I think you can understand that, that, that matter. Now, having said that, I want to come now to Paul's second principle. Paul is saying it's all of grace. The second principle that Paul mentions here in this passage, go to Romans chapter 12, and let's read it in verse number uh, 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. What the Apostle Paul is here talking about in the second uh, principle that he gives us, is that he wants us to understand that the church is a body, and every believer is part of that body, and must function for maximum effectiveness of the church. So the, the principle now is Paul is going to explain that you can never understand the real purpose of gifts, and the real use of gifts, until you understand the true nature of the church. And that's what Paul is trying to do in this passage. He's not only saying that everything comes from grace, but Paul is saying, now, let me explain to you the nature of the church so that when you want to understand the nature of the church, then you will understand where you fit in. But if you're wrong about the doctrine of the church and the nature of the church, you will never understand where your gift fits into the ministry. And that is why he's now going to talk about the nature of the church. You'll notice that twice, in verse number four and verse number five, he says, listen, understand that the church is a body. See, twice he mentions that. Understand that the church is a body. This teaching of the church as a body is vital to our understanding the nature of the church. And many of the problems that you find that arose in the New Testament church were a result because People did not understand the nature of the church and the place of gifts within the church. The most egregious example of this in the Bible is, of course, the Corinthian church. I mentioned before, there's no church anywhere in the, in the, in the epistles that was more blessed with more gifts and more endowments than that church. Yet, what do we find in that church? We find division. We find a schismatic spirit. We find competitive wranglings among believers, and we also find chaotic confusion in the church. Disorder. See? How can that be? How can that be? Because they never really got a full understanding about the nature of the church as a body. Look, the day my hands start acting independent of my body, I'm in real trouble. I'm in real trouble. What if my hand decided to steal? And it just decides to steal. I'm in real, real, real trouble. See? What if my mouth decides to curse? And I can't control it cursing. What that means the body is sick. Whenever your body parts act independent of you, the body is sick, it's malfunctioning. And Paul is trying to say similarly when it comes to the church because the same divisive spirit that was in the Corinthian church, he's concerned that that is now going to creep into the Roman church. Where the arm acts independent, the foot, the ear acts independent. Everything is, everybody's doing their own thing. They're not collectively working together. 
as a body. See? And that's why it's so important for us to understand what the Apostle Paul is teaching in this passage. Now, by the way, this is not the only analogy or illustration or picture that Paul used concerning the church. If you go to Paul's writings, you'll find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he compares the church to a great empire. And he says, you are, more, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Now, he was a Roman citizen, and he understood what it does to be, that no matter which part of the world he was, he can claim to be a Roman, and he had Roman uh, rights and privileges. He actually claimed that on one of the occasions, see. But Paul saw the great Roman Empire stretching to the ends of the world. And Paul says to the church, you're just like that. You are citizenships, citizens of a great commonwealth. That's what the church is, no matter where you are. Whether you be in Africa or in Europe or in Asia or the Far East, wherever you are, you are citizens of a great commonwealth. See? That is one of the illustrations that the Apostle Paul used to describe the church in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, he compares the church to a great temple building. And he says, believers are stones in this building. We are laid upon the foundation of the apostles, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. But we are living stones in a building. So not, a, not just a great commonwealth, he compares it now to a great temple building. Where God is the center of the temple. And believers are members of the temple. They're like stones in the temple. That's another illustration that Paul uses as far as the church is concerned. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he compares the church to a family. You know what he says? He says that we are of the household of God. See? Another illustration, another analogy, another picture, another, uh, another uh, imagery that he has. See? So it's a great commonwealth, it's a great temple, but also we're like a family. We belong to the household of God. And of course, everybody knows that in Ephesians chapter 5, he compares the church to a, a wife and a bride. He says in that portion, For this cause shall a man leave his mother and his father, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And they said, then he said these words, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. See, the church now is the wife, the bride of Christ. But of all the illustrations that Paul uses to illustrate the symbol of the church, the Apostle Paul again and again fell back to this one of the church as a body. Because while no illustration is perfect because of the limitations of human language, the one that best depicts the nature of the church is the body. And that's why Paul keeps going back to it again and again. You'll find that he uses that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And 23, he says, the body is the church, but the head is Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 27, was read this morning, again, he used the great elaborative teaching on the matter of the body as a church, again. And uh, it's not limited just to these explicit statements of Paul in his writings, but often in Paul's writings, it's actually inferred in the context itself. He doesn't state it, but it's inferred that the church it's a body functioning as a unit, an organic unit together. See? So it doesn't only depend on his explicit statements. They're also implied in his writings that the church is, 
a body. Now I want to, this morning, uh, look at the nature of the church uh, as a body. And while I will be referring to Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and following, I also want you to bear in mind the passage that was read uh, earlier in Corinthians chapter 12 because the two of them are really synchronized. Uh, the, the, I mentioned before that Corinthians chapter 12 is like an expanded commentary on Romans chapter 12. Put it another way, Romans chapter 12 is a condensation of what Paul says in Corinthians chapter 12. The two of them are basically the same thing. One is an expanded version. One is a very terse, concise, succinct version of the whole matter. But the same topic is being dealt with the church as a body. So I think if we're going to avoid overestimating ourselves or underestimating other people, if we're going to avoid envy and jealousy and division and factualism, and uh, carnal rivalry, if we're going to avoid what I call toxic competitive spirit, it is because we have somehow grasped an understanding of the essential nature of the church. If we understand the parallel between the human body and the nature of the church, I think it will help us uh, to better appreciate where gifts fit in and uh, how we can use our gifts to help the body. So I want to mention this morning uh, seven principles that we can draw from the passage here dealing with the church of a body. Uh, just, I don't know if I'll cover all of them this morning, but I'll try to cover as many as we could, and then maybe we'll see where we go from there. The first one is this. When you look at uh, verse 4 and 5, and First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says basically the same thing. He said, we got many members in one body. He says, so we being many are one body in Christ. And here's the first thing that we need to understand. The church, as far as its nature is concerned, is an organic unity. I repeat, the church is an organic unit. The church is not just an aggregate of things that we assemble of independent parts. You, you know, you get an artificial baby and you stick on the hand, you stick on the foot, you stick on the, you stick on the head, you put on the hair, you know. Or you get Legos and you just stick in this Lego and the next Lego. That is not an organic unity. See? And the Apostle Paul wants us to understand that the church is not a Lego man or woman. The church is an organic unity. In other words, uh, you don't stick on the hand, you don't stick on the head, you don't uh, use a a soldering gun and solder on the hand and the head when it comes to a church. Uh, you know, when, if you have to do those kind of things, it means that there's no organic unity. There's no real connection. It's only connected by virtue of these, these things that you, you put them together. Or you can't, you know, you don't use a uh, gorilla glue and glue on the hand of the church and the foot of the church and the head of the church. If you've got that, you don't have a church. That's not the nature of the church. In other words, the church must not be perceived as independent parts that are just stuck on. Functioning by themselves. Paul says that the organic unity, they're all blended and united together and all function from one head. See, this is the point that Paul is making. It's an organic unity. We don't just rivet the parts together or glue the parts together. It is part of a whole. You want to see a wonderful passage, how much biology Paul knew? Long before modern science, actually bamboozled by what Paul wrote. 
look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He understood this organic unity. And the language he uses is uh, so ahead of his times that you know that uh, it is something more than just human. Look what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 16. He said, from whom the whole body, listen to this, fitly joined together and compacted by every joint supply of, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase in the body of Christ. Man, that's a lot of words. <laughs> what the Apostle Paul is saying that every single part of the body is synchronized and meshed in. And every single part of the body contributes towards the body. See? The Apostle Paul understood Clearly, the importance of the vascular system and the nervous system of the body. Uh, you know that it comes down from the head down to the nervous system and then it branches off to every part of your body. You know that the heart pumps the blood and it goes into these small capillaries and then it goes around the whole body and returns. See, uh, Knit it together. Uh, this is what Paul is, uh, organic unity. This is something that we as Christians need to understand. Take the nervous system again. It, it, it's all through your body. Uh, they're all interconnected, you know. The nerves in this fan is connected to this and, and so on. Every part is interconnected. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting these believers to understand. That we are part of an organic unity. And uh, it is not something superficial or artificial or something that is judged ad hoc. We're not independent members. We are members that are completely joined in an organic unity. You ever thought about this? Think of the body for just a moment. You realize the body started from one cell, and then daddy fertilized the cell, and then that cell multiplied and multiplied, and before you know it, you had a little stump, and that became a hand, another stump, that became a foot, then a little stump, the head, whatever. I don't remember the order in which it comes, but the point is this. It all started from one. It all grows out of one, and they're all interconnected in an organic way. And by the way, I want to remind you of three things quickly. Number one is that to have this unity, this organic unity, it's the Lord that adds to the church. It's not you. It's not me. You remember what it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 47? The Lord added to the church daily. <laughs> daily. So when he makes you part of a church, it is he that brings you into the church. You don't bring yourself. Nobody just brings you. The Lord adds you to the church. See? Now that takes on a completely different dimension once you understand that. The other thing is, in Corinthians chapter 12, the Spirit baptizes everybody into the body. So when a new person comes into the church and is saved, he now becomes part of the body. So this organic unity continues. And of course that leads to one thing, that Christ is the head of the church. And the church must learn to listen to the head. And the head speaks to us through his word. See, That's how important this matter of the church is. So I'm saying to you this morning, the first thing that you and I need to understand is that we're not independent members stuck onto the church. We are organically connected to the church. And the head issues order to the church. See. So you can't do what you want to do because your hand or your foot or your ear, you want to act independent. Absolutely not. We are part of a body and we must work with the body. By the way, 
That's why it's so important for us when we're making decisions in the church to try to get you involved in making the decision. Right? That's why we have so many meetings. Somebody told me the other day, this church has so many meetings about things, but other churches just do things. But I think it's important for the church to be able to know what we're doing and get the church approved because we're all in it together. See? I remember Nathan told me this when he fired to join the church. He said, Pastor, I've never seen a church like this that does, that the members get so much say in the whole ministry. Never seen it. Not even in the States. See? I said, but that's how we operate. See? Because we're a body. We're a body. We're not just independent, etc., etc. Et and that is why, but it takes more time when you, bring, when you bring 60 people to decide on something. You've got real trouble. You've got 60 different opinions. So it takes so much time. Uh, you could just do the decision, then there's no problem. But when you bring people in and you've got this discussion, that this, you know what happened? It takes time. It, it gets time, but it's necessary. It's necessary to do that because we're what? A body, an organic body. The second thing that, uh, second principle is that the body, even though it's one united organic body, the body has diversity and the body has variety in it. Paul says in verse number four, we be in many members in one body and all members have not the same office. Don't have the same function. The thing that Paul is emphasizing here is the whole matter of diversity and the whole matter of variety. You only have to look at your own physical body to see that. You know, you got hands, you got feet, you got ears, you got eyes, you got nose. Uh, you got different parts I can call, but you've got all different types of parts. And the reality is that your hand is not your mouth, your mouth is not your ear, your ear is not your nose. See, different parts. There is variety within the body of Christ. You know, this is so important that uh, it is very clear when you look at nature by the, in itself that God loves variety. Do you know there are no two flowers that are exactly alike? Did you know that? A carnation might look at a carnation. If you look at it very closely under a microscope, you see that there's a difference. They look generally the same, but they're changing. You know that no two sides of your face are the same? I don't know if you know that. You know your two eyes are not the same color either, slightly marginal different. I don't know if you know that either. And you know that your feet are not always the exact same as well. It's a little like this variety. You know that no two snowflakes that fall is exactly alike? That's God. God is so big, he wants variety. You look at the universe and you look all around you, you just don't, everywhere you see variety, the grass is different, the trees are different, everywhere is a variety. Nothing is the same. That's the creative work of God, the genius of God. And that's the way we need to understand to see the church. Yet there's some people who want all the members of the church to be virtually the same. They want us to dress alike. They want us to look alike. They want us to walk alike. They want us to smell alike. They want us to serve alike. They want us to think alike. They want us to walk alike. And they want us to look alike. You know who look alike? The cults do. You look at any cult at all, and you'll see that the cults major and make everybody the same. See? Yeah, but if you see walking down the road here, Two guys, doesn't matter if one black and one white, but they got on the same white thing, the same black pants, and they're carrying the same thing. Who you say they are? Mormons. They all look alike. I know if you leave here, you go to any part of the world, and you see them, you know what? Mormons. That's what the cult does. They try to create uniformity. God creates variety. 
That's why there's so many differences in the church. So many different opinions in the church. And people dress different in the church and so on and so forth. Uh, now I think we should all dress modestly. Okay? Modestly. But I don't have to dress to my, my, my shirt, my, my dress down by, well, not me, the woman, my dress down by my knees, down by my, uh, my ankles. You know, <laughs> I don't have to dress that way. See? To be modest. See? Do you know there's no such thing as absolutely true identical twins? Yeah. They may look alike, but if you look more carefully, sometimes one nose is a little bit bigger than the other. Maybe the lip is a little bit, maybe the ears are different. Way. They look fundamentally, essentially the same. But if you look more closely, you can see the difference in, in them. See? The point the Apostle Paul is making here is that even though there's one body, all do not function the same. There is this, this variety within the body of Christ. We all don't have the same temperament. We all don't have the same abilities. We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same interests. And we don't have the same calling. This is something that we need to remember. There is great variety within the church. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us five more principles about the nature of the church as a body. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.